This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. No days off. No The Off Day Podcast. Give me a chest ball. <laughs> with Andy Hart. All right, good to be with you. All right. This you microphone week. put up a little less fight than the one last night. <laughs> and Ryan Hannibal. What's your name again? <laughs> Hannibal. Oh, Hannibal. Mr.Commer on WEEI.com. We haven't done one of these in a little bit, so we got a little bit of news to catch up on. We haven't hit on the Julian Edelman retirement news. I don't think that came into us as a surprise to either of us. I guess maybe they, that he retired now, um, but I guess I should ask you, were you surprised at the timing? Um, only mildly and only because it wasn't that long ago that he said he was on the record saying we're not there yet. I actually don't remember who it was with or, but he, somebody asked him about retirement and he said, we're not there yet. And that was only a couple months ago. But other than that, I think we had talked a number of times as we evaluated wide receiver and all these like, Edelman was was a was gravy. If you got anything out of him, but you couldn't count on anything from him, and clearly that was the case. I mean, he, you know, as he said, he was going to go until the wheels fell off, and the wheels fell off, so he couldn't go any further. I think we saw that last year, you know, when Bill was so open about the surgery, and you know, this isn't really going to fix it. The hope is to like get him so he can get out there. That idea, and then when he doesn't get out there, you're like, okay, well, maybe that didn't really. Right what it was supposed to and there was that there was that short time remember he was like on the practice field and yeah, for the Miami games like the third to last game of the year yeah and so clearly that was the tested out phase or, or and it lasted and, like a day or two right and I think that was not that we necessarily knew definitively at the time but that was the writing on the wall that yeah the surgery didn't really work it didn't make it so he can you know get a few more reps out of out of this and it's too bad I mean it is because he I mean, we can get into the discussion that everyone took and ran with on a big level, but he's a fun story. He's in that, you know, I've talked about it before, like, you know, Dustin Pedroia, Brad Marchand, guys that are scrappy, undersized, you know, have to play a certain way. And then all three of them all of a sudden, oh, wait, they're, they're actually not scrappy. They're, they're really good players. They're all-star caliber players in their um, respective sports. And, you know, two of them, have to retire because of knee injuries this off season. So, um, and, and we, we know the sort of the Boston, I don't know if it's just a Boston thing, but the, the small player is attractive to fans because he's like the everyman. He's like, Julian Edelman's five, nine, I'm five, nine. I could do that. Like it's, it's the underdog story. It's not rooting for the Gronk who's six, six, 260 pounds and doesn't look like most people in, in the stands. So it's too bad. I mean, he had a great story, great run. Yeah. I don't, and just based on the moves the Patriots made this offseason, I think it was clear they knew they probably wasn't give them anything, like going out and getting Hunter Henry and John Smith. Like that's to me that they realized that we need a number – in their mind, we need a number one pass catcher. It's not going to be Edelman. So, like we talked about, if we get him, he's gravy. If he gets five games, that's great. But they, they sort of knew, and I think – 
I think it, I forget whose story it was. Reese, I forget who it was, explained that basically they kind of gave him like a last chance, like to kind of show this offseason, like, okay, we think you're done, but maybe prove to us that you're not. And then I think Adamlin kind of came to it on his own conclusion that I'm done. I, I can't do this anymore. So, and that was probably that transition from him saying we're not quite there yet to, well, apparently we are there and now's the time. Um, I will say I didn't love his retirement video. I thought it was kind of lame. Um, kind of did. I thought the words were okay, but the like the green screen, like I didn't really. It was that part. It, it was just I don't know. Like there was part of me that thought there was going to be like a punchline humor coming. Like it was a, a skit that was set up to laugh, and then it wasn't. And I don't know. It was just. I like the fact that it wasn't like a Instagram or Twitter statement. Yeah, and I, I know I saw the TV people, some of the guys at Channel 4, were like, I've been calling for videos in the past, because it's obviously something they can use right. for the modern media world we live in. Um, but I just, I didn't love it. Didn't love it. You expected more from him, I guess? Is that what you're saying? Well, maybe it was because my stupid radio partner, Gary Tangway, has convinced me that Edelman has like a true acting career in front of him. Like he's not just a cameo acting career, but a legitimate acting career. and. It, it was almost like a bad actor doing a retirement video, even though it was really him and it was his retirement video. I, I don't know. I just didn't like it. What do you think he does next? Uh, I mean, I just told you, he's going to be a superstar actor. The Academy Awards are right around the corner. That's what Garrett, because otherwise I don't know. He, he's not like, he's not going to coach. He's not a coach. Yeah, but I never thought Troy Brown would coach. So how can you say definitive? And don't you think – he has that passion, love for the game, certainly. Um, so I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't, right now, I don't think he'll coach. I think right now he'll try the Hollywood thing. He'll try to do commercials and all that. But then maybe, like kind of in Troy Brown's case, like after his kids get older and whatever, his life moves on, then he decides to come back and give that a shot. I just, enough of the guys that I thought wouldn't coach, like Wes Welker, another guy. Okay, let's stick with the position. Yeah. Troy Brown and Wes Welker are both coaches. Why couldn't Julian Edelman? And I didn't think those guys were. like. A lot of the players talk about the hours and having to put the out. And even like Brewski's a guy who kind of downplayed it. Well, now had talks this offseason about maybe coaching at Arizona and is in some sort of an advisory role there. Who knows if that goes somewhere. So I think these guys that, and I don't think it's a coincidence, those three guys that we just talked about, Brown, Welker, Edelman, are the same kind of guy. Like, yeah. they're not superstars. They're not Randy Moss. No, I don't think Randy Moss wants to put in the hours. I don't think Randy Moss necessarily wanted to put the hours in when he was a player. He was talented. He was elite. It's the guys that truly love football. It's a little bit like I've talked about why Bill seems to like these Division three type coaches and players. Because if you play Division three football, it means you love football. It's not because you got a scholarship. It's not because, you know, you were the best at anything you like. You're a grinder so to speak, to steal that old Gruden term. You're a grinder. And I think these slot receivers that were seventh, eighth round picks, whatever they were for Troy, like they're grinders. And right. a coach has to be a grinder because you're going to be expected to be there at 6 a.m. and be there till 10 o'clock at night. So I wouldn't necessarily rule it out. Now, who knows where his family goes? He has a young daughter that he might just want to spend more time with. And I also don't know, like, do you think he's going to get – um like ESPN Fox type opportunities? Potentially. Like not like full-time roles, but kind of maybe like Gronk was during his retirement year. Like why don't you do the pregame show, you know, every three weeks or, or something like that. And I think we need to smartly 
reevaluate. Like Akib Talib was in the booth this year for Fox, I yeah. believe it was. Like, it's okay if you're not a polished, if you're entertaining and bring a combination of information and entertainment and it's yeah. not necessarily packaged perfectly, to me, that's going to become more valuable than the ex player who speaks well and and speaks in perfect sentences or and you go wait a minute i listened to that he didn't say anything he didn't it wasn't funny and it wasn't informative right so no, I'd rather, that's that's a good point where the where the media landscape could be going like no longer is a mat like you could be a former player but you have to actually bring something to the table you no longer can you just say i played in the nfl you say well okay are you funny can you bring knowledge like can you explain things like you have to actually be able to contribute, not just have on your below your name, former NFL player. Right. And we know he does have a big foot in the door in that if you're a Patriot, you seem to get opportunities. You were along for the dynasty. Plus, you're a Super Bowl MVP, but you were with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. So mm -hmm. immediately you have perceived insights and stories and information. And he does have kind of a sense of humor. He's got a certain wit to him. Um I wouldn't rule that out, even if it's just uh, sort of both sides say, let's give it a shot. Maybe he doesn't know if he wants to do it, and they don't know if they want him to do it, and give it a shot. So it's interesting. I I don't feel real strongly because I, I think he's going to do what he's passionate about, and if he puts his mind to it, he can probably get good at it because that's kind of his M.O. from his work ethic and his dad and everything. Who knows? He could start the J11, you know, clothing company and try to build that up. Like for, we don't, we don't know whatever he's passionate about, he'll go ahead and do. And he certainly has branched out between the kids book and his social media brand, the videos over the years, certainly has a, a desire to be kind of in that fashion world or yep. pop culture world. So there's a lot of interests there. I'd, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't think he knows. I know where it won't go. I know where it won't go. That's Tampa. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can get that out of the way. It's not happening. Um, I, the story that Mike Florio wrote claiming that he retired so that he could take HGH and steroids and then come back because he won't be tested while retired was one of the most irresponsible stories. And that's saying something for that bleeping website, the one that pronounced Terry Bradshaw dead about two decades ago. Um, I, like, I just, and I know, like, he even wrote, you know, this would be unfair if he didn't already have a PED suspension. Still unfair. Still completely unfair. Yeah. Like, hey, Mike Floro, you ever been drunk? You have. So can I assume you were drunk when you wrote that story because it was so shitty? No, I can't assume you were drunk. Just because when you were drunk once doesn't mean you're drunk again and all the time. Yeah, I, I'm with that you. That pissed me off. And you know me. I'm not like a super, like, Julian Edelman Homer fan or anything. Right. I just, when it's wrong, it's wrong. And to me, that story was 100% wrong. I, I actually think it was not a fireable offense, but irresponsible. like irresponsible and the type of thing that some executive from NBC, which NBC owns pro football talk, right? Or at least right. partners, I don't know the right. exact, to me, that, that's something that should have been, why don't we take that down? And why don't you apologize for well, saying that kind that? of says to me, if Mike Fleura wasn't the head of pro football talk and he had to actually run it by an editor or a guy that kind of oversaw him on a day-to-day -day basis, that guy, I'm like, why don't you think twice about that? Like, right. where, where are we going here? Where is I know it's a rumor site and it's, that's where they make their money and their business, but there are other ways to do it. You don't need to do that. Like he that wrote that, and it, it, there was no value. I mean, how many clicks did you get out of it? No more than if you wrote, 
something else with Julian Edelman in the headline that day. It was going to get clicked. Like, you didn't have right. to be a douche, and that was a douchey story. And our morning show play, did basically the entire show on the chance that Edelman could go to Tampa Bay. Like, there's no chance. He's, yeah, I, that he, would absolutely stun me. He, didn't ret- he retired because his knee doesn't have it anymore. Like, it's not, like he didn't retire for Gronk-type reasons. Like, it's an injured thing. Like, his knee's done. Right. The wheel's not coming back on. It wasn't, I was sore and worn down and I needed to get away. He said, I was playing till the wheels fell off and the wheel fell off. Like right. he was, and I mean, talk about douchey. If he says, if he ends with Foxborough forever, yeah. and I yeah. joked with Fitzy, it, the next t-shirt will be like Tampa today. Like when you sign with Tampa, sorry, Foxborough, it's Tampa today. Like, when like the other side of it was like, Brady will convince him to come back and play like for the stretch run in the playoffs. Like, I think Tom Brady kind of knows too. Like, he he knows what Edelman went through over the course of his career. He's not gonna like push his buttons to come back for five. I don't know. I think Brady kind of is, is higher than that too. Well, but it also it ignores the fact he said the wheels fell off. Like yeah. he could have been cut by the Patriots and tried to keep playing, right? right. He right. has decided the wheels fell off. Like, I don't, I don't think people are paying enough attention to that. We assume Julian Edelman, like Wes Welker, when he signed with, what was it, St. Louis. Like, these types of guys do have trouble walking away. So it wouldn't surprise me if he had trouble walking away, but it would surprise me after he said, I can't do it anymore. I'm retiring a Patriot. That, like, I, I don't know. Did people not watch the video and listen to him? In the, like, I, I think we're at the point in the sports calendar that, pe- that they're running out of stories to discuss, and they're, they're just trying to keep grinding this Patriots, you know, getting the most out of the Edelman story, and this is just a big stretch. I get I mean, and I know we, this is a world where Nick Saban said, I'm not going to Alabama when he was at Miami, and he ends up going to – like, so I'm not saying they don't lie, but I just – this would be – this would be on a different level to me. Uh, moving on, Bill Belichick had his pre-draft press news video conference, whatever you want to call it now, on WebEx. Uh, what was it, like 25, 20, 25 minutes? But not much was really gathered from that at all. I thought it was not to his fault. I think, I think that wasn't – it wasn't like Bill was an asshole and kind of didn't – Oh, whoa, whoa, hey, jeez. What? If somebody edits that, you just said Bill was an asshole. <laughs> Well, I'll cut out the part where you said it's not like. <laughs> well, fortunately, I am the editor of this podcast, so we won't have that issue to, to deal with. But no, there, there is nothing to really glean from that at all. Okay, so I, I agree with you. It was a lot of sort of generalities and, you know, that, that's true at every position. That's true in every draft. That's true in every decision. That's true in every offseason. Like, a lot of those phrases. Um the big takeaway I would say very early on in his open was the carrying of the draft ball preparation for Dave Ziegler and Matt Groh and who's the other one? Elliot. Oh, Elliot Wolf. Sorry. Um, which to me, the most interesting one there is Wolf because he was sort of a late arrival and like he clearly has ascended and is, is in a pretty big role pretty quickly. And the same with Matt Patricia. Like you have some definitive within the last year type of new blood to the front office. Cause I know Matt Patricia obviously was in new England for whatever it was, 14 years, but he wasn't necessarily in more of a front office role. And we had all these things this off season, you know, his name appeared on the contract that they signed. And so the, the post Nick Casario 
era in the front office, I think was a, a big takeaway. And we can expand on that in a minute, maybe tying that into Robert Kraft and other things. But then the other, the other one that was interesting is I think people fixated on, well, you're sitting at 15 and if, you know, three guys fall that you thought were going to go in the top six, do you start to think about going up to 12 to get them? Or conversely, if you're at 15 and a bunch of guys, do you start thinking I can get those? Like, I think people thought that was more, revealing or definitive than it was like some people I think said well he's clearly not trading up to to four to get a quarterback he said he would trade up to 12 to get somebody that fell I don't think that's what he meant he was just again giving vague generality he wasn't talking about any specifics to the Patriots it was all generalities right so so, so I guess the the big takeaway then would be the front office now I would you're kind of a muckraker in the Florio world the uh captain clicks and find creative ways to package information on weei.com uh do you think there was an admission from robert Kraft saying things have felt a little different this year and then bill saying that those three guys are carrying the ball did people get their wish this offseason is bill belichick less um less the lone voice or less sitting atop the gm depth chart is there a little bit more going on there no no he kind of had a line at the end, too, where he says, like, basically we do – like, it's kind of the same thing every year or something like that. Like, it, I don't know. He basically said don't read into that. Like, I think he kind of knew what, what people might take from what he said and threw that line in there. I think it's notable. Like, I don't think he's going to change – drastically change the way that he does things in the scouting department. But I think maybe he's a little bit more collaborative. I think that's what, that was my column after the fact, that maybe this is a sign that he's being more collaborative when it comes to the draft. Do you think he meant to say that? Like he, every year, what the, the single the carry, the carrying the ball? No, not the singling them oh, out. Oh, the names I think were well-intended, but I think he's always done that. Nick, Monty Austin, Fort, Dave Ziegler, but like he's always thrown the names out there and you know, they're guys, they, they really work 365 days a year to build to the blah, 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 blah. He's always done that. But, that isn't the same as saying they've carried the ball like that. That well, also free- said he's enjoyed uh, like my time speaking with them or something like that. Yeah. Like I just wonder if he articulated that in the intended fashion or if maybe, cause I do think there are times where he says phrases that when he goes with bears after the press conference and they do like a little, you know, debrief, uh, Bill, I mean, you said they were carrying the ball. This is the offseason where most people wanted you fired as GM. You just gave them reason to believe you've been fired as GM, right? Right. So I just wonder, and I don't feel strongly about it either way. I mean, I do think, again, I think he steps in it occasionally. He doesn't always say exactly what he wants to say. I don't know if this was a case or if he really but where that even come from? Would that be Bill admitting himself that he's not going to be as involved in the draft? Or did Robert come down and say, why don't you take a step back here? No. Um, I mean, he certainly could be less involved. It, it would surprise me. It would stun he, me. Well, then you look at your read into the pro day stuff, which I said in the column too, it's hard to do this year because of COVID. Like he only went to two pro days. Right. He didn't see Justin Fields. He didn't see Trey Lance. So you could read into that too. Whereas like the, the three that he named have been at all the top pro days. So maybe, but I'm with you. I, I don't, I'm not going to read too much into it. Like, could he be like a 5% chance 
you know, listening to more to these people more. Sure. But like at the end of the day, he's one making the pick. He's not going to say, Hey, Hey Dave, who do you like best? Write, write his name down. I'm going to you know hand that in. I don't think that's the case. Well, I also think having more voices was, was going to happen just naturally. It's like when Matt Patricia and Brian Flores leave, well, I need multiple voices. That's why Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo, because there's no obvious next in line. It's like, you know, when Gronk leaves, there's no one guy that's going to fill that starting tight end role. You're going to have multiple guys. Well, Nick Casario had built his way up to the top of the depth chart. He had been in the same role for the last decade or whatever. When he leaves, just because Dave Ziegler gets a promotion doesn't mean he's taking over the whole role and the whole cachet and right. right? So wouldn't it make be logic very logical that one massive voice left, three people sort of take over that role, and then you know maybe Ziegler really takes the bull by the horns a year from now, and it's back to Bill, Dave Ziegler, everyone else below that. But right. For now, it's like, you know, Bill says that a lot about players. You know, no one guy is going to fill the void. No one guy is going to fill that role. I think you could say the exact same thing about Nick Casario. He probably has said that. Um, and it's, it's so it's normal. So I do think we read a lot into it. It was interesting. I don't know if he meant to say they're carrying the ball. I also so. think we've read a lot into it because there's nothing else to read into from that. 20 minutes of talking. So that was kind of the, the big news thing. So you kind of had to analyze what that meant. So whether fair or not, that's what people did. And that's what happened. And I, like, I think that the, there's more questions that need to be asked related to the off season that probably will get asked when he talks three times on draft weekend, like specifically about Cam Newton quarterback. Like if they don't take a quarterback in the first round, does this mean you're committed to Cam? Like, there is a lot of – there's still things that need to get asked about the offseason that didn't, and I think could be answered in the next 10 days. But they, the questions won't be asked on draft night because they've already told us Bill will be available to talk about that day's draft activity or something. Do you, well, there was also – he was supposed to talk about just the draft stuff this time, and he got asked about Edelman and gave a long answer about that, which – so. Right, if, but if, if, he, he, if, he he wants, if he wants to talk about it, he will. If he doesn't, he'll just say, oh, this is just related to the draft. If he had been asked about um, Hunter Henry and didn't want to talk, he wouldn't have talked about it. He would have said, I think we're here to talk about the lead up to the draft, not the other aspects, blah, blah, blah. You're right. He picks and chooses. And the Edelman thing was a, a slam dunk layup that he would just give you the quote and blah, blah, blah. That's great. Yeah. So. But okay. Other than that, there really wasn't much to take away from Bill. Um, I guess. Did you have anything that stood up? Not a damn thing. And I haven't uh, – well, first of all, I was a little out of the loop for some reasons, but did anybody, like, really use that they've carried the ball as, like, Belichick admits he's no longer making Pat's personnel decisions? No. Okay. I didn't think so. I didn't think anybody would have the balls to do that, not even, like, a, a first take or a Max yeah. Kellerman or anybody. But No. Okay. I, I, I didn't think anybody would. No, would, nothing. Yeah. Get, get red. It would get attention. If you want attention, I would advise somebody to say that. Belichick admits he no longer makes Patriots personnel decisions and just play that clip. Yeah, no, no one jumped on that. Maybe that, that's to come. I don't know. Maybe people are saving it for after the draft. They can use it then. I don't know. It's possible. Well, no, he's in a perfect world now. He's muddied sure. that water. 
This was the version of the trades where he swaps late round picks a couple times. So now good picks, ah, Belichick's gotten back to his winning ways in the draft. Bad picks, well, I told you those guys were carrying the ball. What do you want me to do? Right. He can't lose now. That's probably how he wants it too. Be a column. Do you have any? Uh, pre- we're gonna have a bigger draft overall discussion. But do you have any like specific draft stuff, like how the, how you view that they might handle fifteen that you want to discuss before next week? Um, I'm still hopeful that they're going to trade up. I still keep, uh, here's one. Are you, do you feel more strongly that they will now than the rest of the off season or less? Um, probably less. Me too. Yeah. I mean, I want to, I keep like, there's enough mock drafts where like fields falls or people actually mock them to trade up to four or wherever to get a quarterback that you 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 want to believe it like you you want but, to acknowledge here's the thing is that just the fact that mel kiefer does five mock drafts and he can't have the same mock draft every five times yes yeah i mean that's what it is now i won't rule it out like a lot of we've seen over the years things that i forgot how somebody wrote this the other day on twitter things you you talk yourself into accepting as like fact and truth that this period like this last few weeks leading up to the draft and then draft night it's proven false a number of different times. And uh, so that, that could happen that, that will, and there's enough muddy water with the Patriots and quarterbacks. And as you said, who's going to what pro days and, you know, former uh, uh, assistants, Jim Nagy and Mike Lombardi say, no, they don't like Justin Fields. He would make no sense in their system. Well, is that carrying the water or is that honest? And like, there's just enough of that. And I guess in hindsight, you might, if, if they pick them, well, you get an attaboy for Lombardi and Nagy for trying to, you know, get people off the trail, I guess. But, no, I, if anything, I, I think they could trade down. I kind of – I'm more, I'm more and more – like, you look at it, and as Bill said, you're at 15, and you say, well, I like that – you know, let's say you like the third corner. Both linebackers you like are on the board. Two tackles or one tackle you still like and a wide receiver are on the board. And I think the Bears are at 20. Something like well, I was just, just going to say, when, when we say that, I don't think both of us are saying they're going to trade out of round one. I think they're no. going to move back into round one. So they're, they're still going to get a first-round pick, but not at 15. Like I did a um, potential Patriots, the series I've been doing for WEI.com, on Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State. Pretty much everybody says he's a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody says he's probably just a right tackle. Some have actually compared him to Joe Tooney. But almost everybody agrees he's going to go in the 20s. He's not a before 20 kind of guy. If they love him as this beastly physical tackle, well, it's not value to take him at 15, but I can trade down, pick up a two or something, get the same guy that I really kind of like. Right. Now, the one thing, getting back to Bill, that I did find a little bit interesting is I do think it's different. I think the question was posed like, overdrafting a quarterback, even though you don't really think he's worth the pick, is it different with quarterback? And he said, well, you know, a lot of positions, but, but I think it's different at quarterback because if you like a Zayvon Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa, more than everybody else, and you think there's a better chance you're going to sneak him through, a quarterback just gets overdrafted. If you overdraft him, you're overdrafting him. Somebody else is going to overdraft. I do think it's harder to sort of stand your ground and wait out a quarterback. It's just the position is different. Some of the numbers, somebody had it on Twitter this morning, all the numbers of 
basically the quarterback position, how it used to be drafted, like how many times the quarterback went number one overall, how many went and all these things, the average position of like the top quarterbacks taken has just blown up. It's, it's at the top of the draft. And that's, that's just the way, and we've talked about it. Like the ones that I did, I think off the top of my head is from since 2010, it was 44 players have been drafted in the first two rounds and 44 have been drafted in rounds three through five. Like, that's a smaller sample, but it just shows that like, right. they go to the top. And the acceptance of the small quarterbacks, we've talked about that a little bit, like Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, those guys would have been first-round picks now because they are. it's accepted that they don't have to be 6'4". That's not that doesn't push you out of the first round. So as much as he didn't really say it's different, I do think it's different, and you have to – like, almost every – quarterback in this draft is going to get overdrafted right other than trevor lawrence he, he probably right I, zach wilson's going too high right trey lance just they're all going to go too high in this draft so it not maybe not like egregiously like maybe one of them would have been the 10th pick but right. now he's going two. maybe zach wilson would have been 10 now he's going two. so i just think inherently almost all quarterbacks get overdrafted uh, today was the first day of the uh, off-season, voluntary off-season workout program. Uh, according to Mike Reese, Cam Newton was part of it. Um, other players were part of it too, but there were players who weren't part of it as the Patriots put out a statement last week. Patriots players put out a statement last week, like most other teams, but the only difference for the Patriots was they said many of our players won't be, won't be participating, whereas other teams were all players. Right, and – I personally don't think this is actually about Corona or staying healthy. I think this is players exerting some power that they just have. They have leverage. They can do this. They probably learned a year ago. Yeah, I don't really need any of that crap. I was fine. I felt good when we got to camp. I felt good, whatever. Um, and I just think they're utilizing the, their power for the first yeah. time in their whatever right. careers. They actually have the leverage and the power to say, look what we did last year. We were just fine. And a lot of these players have second homes and, you know, are down in Florida and nice parts of the country, and they don't want to travel to New England to work, whatever, you know, four hours a day for six weeks. And that's what I – like, that's how I would look at it in a way if I were an established veteran player. Now, to me, it's different for if you make good money coming in, if you have a good workout bonus, come and get your workout bonus. Cam Newton, $100,000. So Right. Real money. Probably didn't used to be real money to him, but it's real money to him now. Yes. Um, or if you're a guy that's just trying to make uh, a spot on the roster, like the you're the fifty, you're the fiftieth guy, and you need to make every good impression you need to do. Either either the fiftieth guy, or how about like Joan Williams? Yeah, you're heading into your third year, and you're like, uh, I'm not sure I've really solidified my role with this team. This might be time I'd be there. I right. but if I'm a seven eight year veteran that lives somewhere else, do I really want to move back to Foxborough? to go to the stadium for four hours a day, three days a week. Like, right. no, like I want to live my life. It, it, Especially it almost, when it's not like these players aren't like working out. Like they're still working out on the road. They're not just, you know, on the beach, you know, all the time. Right. So they're still getting their work and it's just at their own pace and leisure and how they want to do it. And I mean, I don't intimately know exactly what goes on in those hours, but I'm pretty sure the strength and conditioning coach can, send me the workout every day that I've done a million times. I know every single one. And I'd like to think I'm a competitive athlete. So it's not like, oh, nice. I'm not at the stadium. So I'll put less weight on or I'll sweat less or I'll do less reps. If you're that kind of guy, you're going to be out of the league soon anyway, if you're just getting by. And then 
whatever else, film work, and like it can all be done. Like I'm just thinking, like Devin McCourty. How many times has he done this? Nine yeah. times. Like he's right. he knows what he's doing. It's just like he's just there, just for the sake of being there. So it's, I mean, Tom Brady. He decided he didn't need to be there. It was and he believed in it. He previously like really believed in it, but then realized I have family, I have other interests, I have other commitments and marriage, and I'm, and I'm gonna be just fine if I don't go. So right and. That's why I, I almost think the league would benefit if they just scrapped this system and had more of like two or three mandatory things. Like we have a first weekend in April mandatory three-day camp. Everybody has to be there. Then we don't see you again until mid-May. Then we see you once in June. In between, we'll send you some workouts and some drills and you yeah. take care of that. You know what I mean? Like. A but, few mandatory things rather than weeks and weeks and weeks of volunteering. But the problem is I think there are too many people of, like, Bill Belichick's mind that will go against that and won't, and won't want that. But wouldn't he – wouldn't you prefer, if you were Bill Belichick – because we're talking about developing players, not players that are already developed, but developing players. Wouldn't you rather a guy – showed to you that he wants it by okay we have first weekend in april we have a mandatory camp and then the devin mccordy's and the matthew slater's they go about their business and you show up monday morning after that and there's joan williams in the weight room and then he comes in and he says hey coach i would can we go over that cover three scheme i wasn't real sure like doesn't that tell you more than you told him he had to be there at 7 a.m um, I guess I misconfused your – I thought you were saying everybody would be done. So you, you're still keeping the voluntary part in there. Yeah, because yeah, voluntary is always the, – the difference is this – What for years, the voluntary wasn't really voluntary. Yeah. Now I want to make it really – like there's mandatory, voluntary where most don't show up. Right. But the ones that do – Are the ones that are standing out, yes. And by the way, if Joan Williams shows up, then – I don't know, some other cornerback says, hmm, heard Joan was at the stadium all five days last week. Maybe I should get my ass there. Kyle Duggar, maybe he, he says, right. oh, he could be taking my spot. Yes. Right. So I think you create a culture of truly wanting to work. And, tr and like, you know, this in a different way, the same story about Rodney Harrison shows up, Tom Brady's already there. Rodney Harrison shows up earlier, Tom Brady's already there. Like, that was a veteran level competitive culture. Well, you're right. It, it actually makes the word voluntary like actually mean its actual meaning. Because right now it's right. it's basically it's mandatory. And if you don't, if you're in the minority if you don't show up. And now if, it actually would actually be voluntary, and you're standing out by showing up. And I and I think you could learn more and figure out who your guys and who guys real like Edelman in in Peter King's Monday Morning Quarterback today had some quotes from Edelman about he fit as a person when the Patriots got him, like he was a fit for the way they, they wanted guys to work. I think you'd have more ways of finding that about different people in a little bit of a different structure. And I think it's going to have to change. I mean, I think the players are basically pushing the point to, to changing it. Uh, anything else you want to hit on this uh, podcast before we, we wrap this up? Well, uh, we do need to, we, we, the elephant in the room, we skipped right over Julian Edelman pro football hall of fame. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not really that hard, is it? No, it's not. And people got so defensive, like... Well, yeah. first of all, can I tell a little story? <laughs> you texted me and said, should we do an Edelman Hall of Fame column? And I believe my response was, as long as my name's nowhere near that thing. 
I forget what I said. I'm, I wasn't advocating for it. I was just... I, just posing the question. Well, I'm, just doing, I'm just doing what I do. That was a big topic on Twitter, so I had right. to, you know, latch on. And I think in the piece I said, like, he's a great pl- – when you say no about him not being in the Hall of Fame, that's not saying he was a bad player. That's not knocking as him a player. That's just saying that there are other terrific players out there that aren't in there, and that's just – that's the way that it goes. Like, Heinz Ward's the, the big comparison. Their, their numbers aren't even close. Like, Heinz – I continue to say, if I'm going to make a list of former Patriots that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, Edelman's lucky if he's third on the list behind Stanley Morgan and Wes Welker. Yes. He just is. And I hated it. I was doing radio with Fitzy, I think the day of or the day after. And I didn't want to talk about it because it turns into like denigrating Edelman, bad-mouthing Edelman. It's great. I don't want to do that. But but you make me by saying he's a Hall of Famer. Right. That's the thing that people that when you say no, you're not saying he was a bad player. That's the thing that people didn't don't really understand. And the Hall of Fame isn't a like the postseason stuff is a small part in the total package. I think right. Patriots fans think it's like the biggest thing when it's not. And that's just it's not. Could that change? And- maybe, maybe in you know ten or so years, the voters come together and change what they you know wait stuff for and maybe but i just i can't even see that happening and everybody got into the welker comparison oh he's not clutch he's not this look at the postseason didn't win blah 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 and i continue to say well see if um they make one play on defense wes welker may in fact be the mvp of a of a super bowl that gave a team an undefeated season uh, and if you also want to compare numbers, they're not even close. He, but he has no, 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 regular season, not close, but his postseason numbers, he had 88 catches compared to, I think, 112 or whatever in six less games. So if he played in more games, he would have had very similar catches. Then somebody tried to tell me, well, you got to, you got to look at the total yards, add in punt returns in this. Uh, Wes Welker has like twice as many return yards as Julian Edelman ever will. And I just, I don't want to. I hate that it forces you to like take pot shots at Edelman when I think he was ballsy and clutch and very good. Like, I don't even want to pretend he's a, he's a gritty player. There was a portion of time there in certain games, certain seasons, he was uncoverable. Like he, he couldn't be covered the freaking chiefs game, the freaking chiefs game on those third downs. You're like, Hey chiefs, they're going to Edelman. Even the chiefs knew they were going to Edelman. They would have him doubled bracketed and he still was catching the ball. Like, right. he was great, but he wasn't a Hall of Famer. Like, well, I, and he wasn't I don't, even – he didn't I, – I know Pro Bowls aren't anything, don't mean anything, but he was never a Pro Bowler. Nope. Like, there, there was – in all of his seasons, there was never a time where you said he's a top four receiver in the NFL. It just didn't happen. Like, and that's not a knock against him because, like you just said, he makes he, – he comes up with the most clutch situations. He, he you know, beat, defeats all odds. But just when it comes to the most elite players at the position, he wasn't there. And I think if you went back in time to make your point, to sort of strengthen your point, if you went back in time, not now, because if you asked them now, the Fitzies of the world would lie through their ass. But if you asked them back in the time, just pick a year, you know, 2000, whatever, and said to a Patriots fan, you get three picks. You can have any three receivers in the NFL. Go ahead. They wouldn't pick Edelman. Probably not. 
it, it's okay. Like right. he was really good. He was fun. You, personality. You can tell me he epitomizes Boston and he fits so well in the city and the work ethic and the do your, you can tell me all those things. Just don't tell me he's a hall of famer. Do you even think he cares? I don't think he cares. I don't think he does. I think in a way he probably doesn't even really fit in that. Like he probably doesn't even see himself as that. Right. Like, that, I mean, that's, I don't, that's what I'm saying. He, he, like it doesn't, it's not bothering him. So it his father, bother like us. let's use a, he's his father's son, right? Like there's a direct comparison work ethic. Like he used to love to tell Greg Hill, you know, if you want to talk to Frank, either call the garage or call home. And if he doesn't answer one or the other, it means he's driving between one or the other. And do you think if someone said, well, Frank Edelman is not one of the great small business owners of, what is it, San Bernardino or San Mateo, wherever the hell he lived. Do you think he'd get mad? I think he'd say, what the hell do I care? I I go to work every morning. I do a good job for my customers. I provide for my family. I I make a good living. I provide my family. I'm happy. That's all I care about. I don't need the effing chamber of commerce to put a freaking plaque on my wall. Like that's that's a great point. Yeah. And I think Edelman's probably the same thing. I think, you know, what matters to him that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest coach of all time, put their legacies literally in his hands with seasons and games and legacies on the line. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady said, we need you. And that's what he cares about. Not that, well, he didn't win this. He didn't win that. He doesn't care. I I don't think he, that's just my perception from afar. Right. I'm I'm with you. All right. So we will be back later this week, tomorrow, I believe with a cornerbacks preview podcast. We'll have another position later in the week. And then, um, why are you shaking You're your head? You're not supposed to say tomorrow in podcasts. They're timeless. Well, I'm, I'm assuming our listeners are so diehard that when they see it pop up, they'll be listening right away today. I today. hope so. But you're supposed to not say today, tomorrow, yesterday in podcasts because you don't know when the person's listening. If they listen tomorrow, then it's not today. That's true. All right. So we, on uh, Tuesday, we will be populating a, a podcast about the cornerbacks. I'll be on the lookout for that. I don't think you're supposed to do Tuesday either. Why not? Because if they listen on Wednesday or Thursday, are you talking about last Tuesday or next Tuesday? Well, I think our listeners are way, are way better than that. They're not, they're not letting these episodes sit. Son of a bitch. <laughs> this is terrible. All right. Well, we'll catch you later. See you.